Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Michael Schmidt. I'm the admin secretary of the Professional Journalists Association of South Africa, and we basically um, are the only organization that issues press cards to freelancers, and our membership is open to working journalists uh, who are both uh, journalists from abroad working in South Africa or uh, South African journalists working in South Africa or abroad. So um, it's uh, not that narrowly defined. Um, anyway, uh, the debate today is taking a look at the liberalization of the airwaves in Zimbabwe in the post-coup era and going into the uh, elections which are scheduled for the uh, 30th of July. And uh, first of all, I want to introduce uh, Toraima Mabachi uh, on my right there, my, my extreme right, I should say. Uh, Torai is the coordinator of Media and Technology Trust, which is a Harare-based uh, NGO, uh, a non-profit that is dedicated to, in particularly, uh, opening up the airwaves in Zim, uh, with a strong focus on the establishment of community radio stations, um, and uh, making sure that the voice of youth gets on air. Uh, the youth population of Zimbabwe is, is really significant and is becoming a big driver of, of change in the country, and their voices need to be heard, and particularly rural communities that are usually excluded from the, the national debate. Um, and Torai will talk to you a little, a little bit about MTT and also its project, Radio Freedom, which is its own project to establish a, uh, a radio station with a, a rather uh, resonant name, I'm sure you'll all agree. Um, and then uh, Dr. Dale McKinley uh, is a, uh, a Zimbabwean uh, analyst and uh, an activist who's been very involved in press freedom and related issues, and he's going to give us a little bit of a, uh, a, a scene setter on, on what's happening in Zimbabwe in the run-up to the elections, particularly with the president's uh, uh, stated intentions of, of liberalizing the country, what does that really mean? Um, perhaps I can hand directly over to, to Dale to, to set the scene for us in the run-up to the elections, and I'll, I'll ask him a few questions. We'll, we'll, we'll bounce backwards and forwards, and then, uh, then I'll hand over to Tarai, and he can talk through the, the, the campaign to get community stations on air in Zim, and the, the various aspects to that campaign and, and how far that has progressed. Over to you, Dale. Thank, thanks, Michael, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, my input will be quite brief. Um, I think it just in order to understand or to set the context properly uh, in, in the present, just to have a little bit of history, not, not a, a great deal because you don't have a great deal of time, but just to sort of to understand where we've come from. Uh, in, in regards to, to the, the post-coup situation. Um, I think as, as most, m maybe many of you know, you know, when the new constitution was adopted in Zimbabwe quite some time ago, uh, like our constitution, the, the rights included there with regards to freedom of expression and, and specifically on broadcasting are quite uh, encompassing uh, in terms of, of uh, at least what's on paper there. Um, and setting up the proper mechanisms and laws. Well, in Zimbabwe, it's the Broadcasting Services Act, the BSA, and, of course, the Broadcasting Authority of Zimbabwe, which is the BAZ, which are the two enabling, sort of the piece of legislation and the enabling authority. The problem is, of course, as is as what we've seen in many countries, but in Zimbabwe as well, is between intent and practice. So what happened 
obviously after the, 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 in the first round of calls of things back in 2005 for applications, for licenses and, and everything else, there was this sort of idea that yes, we're, we're freeing up the airwaves, we, we're going to make sure that we can uh, uh, licenses from private uh, companies and, and radio stations and I think it was one television uh, license was, was done, uh, were all sort of accepted in a process and then of course what happened, much like um, it reminds me here in our own country in South Africa about the commissions uh, where you set up a commission and then it sounds all great and then it just gets sort of <laughs> strung out over years and years and years and years in the process or the court system, same in Zim. So that, that essentially uh, didn't go anywhere um, and all of those licenses were basically either not, not necessarily rejected outright but certainly were either left to the side or were uh, pushed, pushed and no, nobody got one. And then we had another uh, sort of set, set up and, and, and round in 2011 after the unity government and there was again a lot of pledges for opening up the airwaves same kinds of things happened. Uh, a whole range of this time with cost applications, fees and levies that were put onto this thing, uh, public hearings that didn't happen, uh, delays, obfuscation, lack of uh, information that was given about what needed to be in applications, foreign funding requirements in particular where the, the applications were rejected because they said no they don't meet the requirements which are of course arbitrarily determined about foreign funding, how much percentage of foreign funding behind uh, the, the, the station. So that the bottom line is, is up until the, the events with the, with the coup uh, that there was like in Zimbabwe for those of you who followed Zim uh, and, and there's the appearance of normality um, and then you scratch a little bit underneath the surface and you realize that actually what, so you know the legislation, the law, it all is there in terms of the enabling but uh, underneath and Namgagwa and what has happened has not changed any of that, let's be, let's be very clear. There's no indication uh, in terms of legislatively or otherwise, there's lots of promises about opening up and so forth and so on but with regards to any of the processes that have happened uh, that would have uh, been a change from the past practice, there's no such thing. Um, and in fact, uh, if one looks at the lead up to the elections now, this is fundamentally important as it was in 2008, as it was in 2005 and previous elections when Mugabe was, was uh, running the show, uh, is that uh, just, just like in any country where there's no diversity, no ideological diversity, no political diversity, no socio-cultural diversity within the airwaves, um, other than that which is clandestine or, or not or illegal. Um, you don't have, the voters obviously can't be informed, there can't be proper debates, we know all these, these kinds of things. So state control, party control, anything that's aligned to the, to the ZANU-PF, anything that's aligned gets, gets the go ahead and that has not changed. Anything has fundamentally changed in, in, in Zimbabwe since that time. That's going to uh, obviously have huge impacts because as you know in, in Zim particularly, radio uh, is, is the main form of, of, of communication, particularly for, for rural folks. Uh, and when there is no space for alternative voices, when there's no space for debates, when there's no space for even in, in many cases, you know, uh, criticisms and, and raising policy issues and having those kinds of discussions, well, the electorate is less, much less informed. There's no ability for opposition parties, in which case it's not just the MDC, and, or now I, I can't keep up with how many MDCs there are now these days, but um, it, it's uh, the splits, I think 100, over 100 parties are contesting uh, in the elections. Uh, and there, there's, no, there's no space for, for, for any of them, really. 
to, to contest that space. So what is the overall picture? The overall picture is the status quo, fundamentally, at least at, at, a, at a practical level. At a political level, there's a lot of talk about these kinds of things, but that's not going to do anything in the lead up to the elections at the moment. So political control um, and what I would call soft authoritarianism. And this is the interesting thing is you, it's, Zimbabwean and ZANU-PF have perfected the art of what I call soft authoritarianism, which is the, the idea that when, when you look at things, it doesn't look like there's a major crackdown. So Nongagwa is like, you know, we're different from Mugabe. We're, we're not going to go out into the streets and beat people up. We're not going to go and attack them. We're not going to be violent. But what you do is you cut all the corners for public participation, for voice, for alternative. You, you, you corral it. And you do so softly. You do it through legislation, through delays, through bureaucratization, through a whole range of other things that seem natural. They seem like they're not necessarily hard. It's not hard power, it's soft power. And as a result, the critique of it becomes quite difficult because you, you, they say, but the law is there, yes, we'll get there. We're just having a difficulty in practical funding, so forth and so on. But in fact, what happens is this has now been the case for how many years? Almost two decades. Um, and there's no sign that this is going to change. So that is the reality of the situation on, in the sort of the macro context. Um, and. It's, uh, you know, what that means for not necessarily those that are outside and, and trying to open up those airwaves or trying to assist those in Zimbabwe who are trying to do so, and for Zimbabweans themselves, is there's very strategic and tactical questions because the assumption in Zimbabwe has always been if we have political change, we'll get legislative change, we'll open up the, the idea. And that has always been a disappointment, even with the GNU. There was the expectation that things were going to immediately sort of, you know, um, I said, you know, a sort of uh, Arab Spring kind of, kind of situation. So, and that did not happen. So what we have is we have a continuing state of where the acceptance of this sort of status quo becomes very disempowering. It becomes very disillusioning for a lot of people. And the, the idea that, well, this is the way it's always going to be. And what, what is of necess what's clearly necessary is that in order for these, uh, the airwaves to be opened up, in order for the legislation to be properly implemented, you're going to have to have a political struggle. And it's not simply going to come about by potentially the MDC you know, getting another 40, 30, 40% of the seats and contesting power at the top level. We, we, we've seen that that doesn't really make the difference. It is, and as always has been in Zimbabwe, the ability of grassroots organizations and civil society and everything to, along with international forces, to push open that space um, and to force it open. So, yeah, that would, that would be the, the overall perspective. Yeah, um, might I just say that one of the problems with this sort of this soft power approach and, and this, this kind of stasis that is set in, in in Zimbabwe is that the international community that should be giving this kind of solidarity has been sucked into this, this system of stasis where uh, civil society organizations, the very things that we're hoping will carry things forward and, and liberalize or democratize society, I should say, are deeply interpenetrated by ZANU-PF agents. Um, and yet the foreign donor funding still flows to these organizations. Um, so a lot of supposedly independent organizations are, are deeply compromised and are sucking up foreign funding that could go to more legitimate projects, but those legitimate projects are not really allowed to see the light of day. And that's something that, that Radio Freedom has been experiencing in, a, in its fight. Um, 
Turning to thank you for that, Dale. Uh, turning to to Radio Freedom now and 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 the project there, as as Dale has indicated, there's there are ten community radio stations that have been waiting to get on air for something uh, close to fifteen years now. Um, these fall under the umbrella of the Zimbabwe Association of Community Radio Stations, ZACRAS. Um, MTT's uh, project uh, is uh, designed to really promote and support the ability of these stations to get license and to get channel allocation. Um, th the state, part, part of the delaying tactic has been uh, to, first of all, claim that there's insufficient uh, actual channels available, um, which Turai will, will interrogate now. Also that, that, the, um, that there's a, a merger of institutions ongoing at the moment, that there's delays due to uh, supposed digital migration. But Turai, if you could explain a little bit more of the, of the technical aspects of what the state is throwing up as hurdles and whether or not there's any truth to, to their claims uh, that are essentially occasioning all of these delays. Uh, thank you, Mike, for for this. For this, um, first and foremost, I think um, what must be, uh, be borne in mind in terms of the Zimbabwean question um, is the fact that we have got a regime in the country uh, that really pretends. In fact, I'm talking of the successive governments of ZANU-PF. They've been very good at pretending that they will be able to do all sorts of things to better the lives of the people, be, uh, be it uh, in relation to students, be it in relation to academia, be it in relation to uh, mining or any other productive issue that we uh, experience in the country. We've seen what happened during the land reform program. Um, at first value, we're told that no, everyone is benefiting land, land is going to Zimbabweans. But uh, um, the truth of the matter is Lent went to Zanapia for supporters. And uh, uh, that is the reality at the moment, and uh, it will continue to be the reality that uh, Zanapia uh, has managed to amass all the land in the country under the guise of a land reform program. So um, when it comes to the issues of uh, radio broadcasting services and systems in the country, it will be very, very impossible for them to allow a situation where there will be diverse uh, broadcasting stations. In this, I'm referring to a situation where we are not only referring, or we are not only talking of plurality in broadcasting. We are talking of a situation where there is diversity. Diversity actually means uh, radio stations that uh, represent various viewpoints. Uh, on that, I would want to actually touch on the public broadcaster in the country. The public broadcaster is literally, literally controlled by ZANU-PF in the sense that all the channels that are there at the moment uh, churn out uh, uh, ZANU-PF uh, propaganda, uh, be it on issues of land, be it on issues of the missing diamonds in Marange, um, be it uh, on women issues. It's all to do with uh, how ZANU-PF views uh, uh, issues. It's not about how the uh, Zimbabwean uh, view issues. I think for those that, may, that were following the Zimbabwean um, history in terms of uh, um, the licensing 
of broadcasters, especially radio. We have um, an example of uh, our capital radio, um, which uh, tried to operate in, in, in Zimbabwe, uh, including um, Skies FM. They are all owned by uh, uh, Alpha Media Holdings. They tried to broadcast, but uh, they were denied channels. We've got a radio VOP. Uh, it tried very hard enough to make sure that it gets on air. It was denied the opportunity to doing the same. Um, <clears throat> way after that, way after their attempts, I'm talking of those that attempted to, uh, to, to apply for licenses. Um, they came in 2015, a call for applications that was done by the Broadcasting Authority of Zimbabwe. Um, under the Broadcasting Services Act, which uh, uh, actually allows for a three-tier system of broadcasting. Uh, what happened was uh, a lot of other uh, intent, uh, um, uh, uh, prospective broadcasters tendered their applications, and the only such people that were successful are those that are aligned to ZANU-PF. We can talk of Star FM, which is uh, controlled by the by Zim Papers, which is the government newspaper combine. Then uh, we have uh, ZFM, which is owned by uh, the ZANU-PF member of parliament, Mr. Supermanduanzela. Um, and uh, um, they, we are talking of, uh, what is this, Star FM. It was given another uh, uh, channel in, um, in Mtari to control what is called uh, Diamond FM. So, so Star FM um, and Diamond FM are owned by Zim Papers, a government newspaper combined. Then we have Zim, uh, ZFM and Heo in Mashingo. They are all run by Mr. Superman Duanzera. So what we can actually deduce from this is the fact that um, we have a government that pretends that uh, it is uh, there to open up the airwaves. The list can go on and go on like that. <clears throat> we have Nyami Nyami in, um, in, uh, in, in, in Victoria Falls. Um, it is controlled by ZANU-PF uh, functionaries. Uh, and the other uh, uh, station in Blawayo, which is, called, which is controlled by Konde Mshanga and uh, um, his, his other colleague, they are all aligned to ZANU-PF. We all know that. So um, the issue of uh, uh, pluralism without diversity will not help um, uh, the broadcasting situation in Zimbabwe because that is the main problem we have. We tend to be told that, uh, no, look, here we are uh, democratizing the airwaves uh, in a situation that would actually suit everyone. But that's not the case. Um, I'll give you a very, very brief example of how um, the president head of state is uh, not honest in dealing with issues. When he, when he was at a state visit in Botswana, he was asked by a journalist whether the, the diaspora vote was going to be, uh, to be allowed. He, catego he categorically said that, no, look here, we allow for a diaspora vote, but the problem is that we don't have capacity. But when you talk of the writing of the new constitution in the country, um, it actually involved government and uh, uh, the donor world. Why, did they, uh, why didn't they actually ask, say, uh, development partners like the UNDP to help in that respect? Anyway, let me just uh, rush on to the issue of the technical aspects. Currently, 
there is a lie that um, or a lie that you no know, you people wait for digitization because digitization is going to address uh, all the problems in terms of radio broadcasting because uh, there is digital multiplexing uh, we will have so many channels but uh, um what the statement from government officials fails um from government officials fail to uh, appreciate is the fact that uh, we've got what is called dual illumination where you can use um, the analog and digital systems together or side by side and uh, at the moment um, uh, the FM band is still very much usable in terms of uh, how it is configured under the International Telecommunications Union um, it's, it's quite an easy thing um, that uh, we as, uh, at the moment can make use of the analog system of the of broadcasting as we digitize and in any case um the current uh, um uh digital system that is being implemented is called the digital terrestrial television it largely relates to uh, to tv then um, we haven't yet reached a stage where we are doing the digital audio broadcasting that is mainly or predominantly uh for 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 for, for radio but recently uh, there were utterances uh, by the uh, permanent secretary in the um, uh, in the Ministry of Media, Information, and Broadcasting Services to the effect that um, we want to actually create a single organisation that will be able to handle all broadcasting issues, uh, because uh, the main problems that we have at the moment relates to bureaucracy because of so many organizations but uh, in my own analysis what that means is even if they're going to come up with a legislation that is going to collapse uh, all these organizations that are dealing with uh, matters of radio broadcasting or should i say broadcasting uh, like uh, the postal and telecommunications regulatory authority of zimbabwe the broadcasting uh, services act um, and transmedia uh, i don't see them are uh, being very honest again but the trust or their trust should i say is meant to actually dampen or frustrate the process uh, under the guise of uh, um, creating a new organization that will handle all the issues because they never gave uh, timelines as to when that will happen or when that will be finished um the other problematic issue that we have relates to um, the broadcasting authority of zimbabwe um it is solely mandated with making a decision or decisions as to when it can do a call for applications to those that may want to uh, broadcast. Um, they don't actually uh, respond to, or should I say, they don't actually get uh, the mandate from anybody uh, except the, the, the law that uh, empowers them to do so. But the law itself is very vague because it doesn't actually clearly stipulate um, uh, um, how they are supposed to do it, uh, um, particularly in relation to being accountable to the people, to the citizens, because it cannot just be uh, uh, their own baby to say, okay, fine, we'll do a call for applications as and when we deem it necessary. That is the current arrangement in the country. Um, so it is quite problematic, uh, even if this um, new um, uh, organization or uh, department is going to be created um it can it can still be a problem if it maintains the same scenario where uh it uh, it won't 
be accountable to anybody in terms of when it will uh, actually call or do a call for applications. Um, the suggestion uh, which was made under the um, information media panel of inquiry, which was instituted by the then Minister of Media, Information and Broadcasting Services, uh, Professor Jonathan Moy, uh, was that a buzz uh, must do a call for applications twice a year. Uh, to allow for those that may want to actually go on a to get the opportunity so um surprisingly the the recommendations which were made under the information media panel of inquiry seem not to be implemented at the moment because uh, we've never seen anything of that sort happening uh, for example in terms of content regulation licensing um and uh, uh, promoting diversity in broadcasting. Um, the, the, the information media panel of inquiry was uh, um, instituted in 2013, and I think by 2016 it was actually through, because it delayed, it was through with its findings. Um, so at the moment, we are still back, um, we, we are, or should I say, we are yet back to another beast which is saying, no, look here, I'm going to be uh, ensuring that uh, everything gets done because at a business um, conference in Victoria Falls, the president himself was asked by um, the business people that gathered there whether there was going to be the liberalization of the airwaves. He said, yes, 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 we're going to ensure that uh, there were many voices on air as a matter of agency. So um, there were many voices on air as a matter of agency. So, um, uh, uh, well, I'm talking of a situation that is happening in terms of uh, May lip service from government officials at the expense of uh, uh, the real uh, action on the ground. So, um, my, uh, since we don't have much time, all I can say at the moment is that, um, or should I say, uh, um, the main emphasis should be utilizing the FM band as digitization happens. There, are no, they, they there shouldn't be any excuses on that because according to the International Telecommunications Union, that FM band is still uh, usable. And at a technical level, it is regarded as the G84. So it is still uh, usable and uh, let's, uh, let the government not deal dally uh, allocating channels to uh, radio stations at the moment, especially those that have uh, shown serious effort to be on air like the ones controlled uh, or run under the Zimbabwe community uh, radio stations, uh, or should I say the Zimbabwe Association of Community Radio Stations, then uh, the ones controlled by uh, Alpha Media Holdings. Uh, we also have got radio VOP. All these uh, stations uh, must be allowed to be on air. And okay. Thank you so much. Um, it sounds like a very interesting situation there in Zimbabwe. Um, I would, I'm going to make a, a, a rather radical hypothesis here. But because there is a, a, a belief that uh, many Zimbabweans, particularly black populations, were uh, far better educated, for example, than their South African counterparts, um, because of the education system in Zimbabwe, one tends to assume that the level of sophistication and manipulation that can come through with using pretexts, with uh, amorphous legislation that tends to um, reach a particular ends, expedient ends, is for particular reasons 
I would assume, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, their level of intelligent sophistication, I believe, has contributed, I think, to extent to the system that you seem to characterize as soft repress, repression or soft authorization. It just feels that way sometimes. Because I think that's what differentiates Zimbabwe in a way from context in East Africa, West Africa, and others, where I think it's sort of different. We've got a few minutes left. Could you perhaps um, succinctly maybe raise a few of your points, and then perhaps we could invite questions to the floor, please. Okay, thank you so much. Um, fr from my side, I I'd say, first of all, that, that MTT has been conducting very intensive negotiations with technical entities such as the International Telecommunications Union, trying to really establish the, the veracity of the government's claims and, and finds them to be sorely lacking. Uh, comparative analyses between the, the available bandwidth in, in Zimbabwe and, and other countries demonstrate that Although we know bandwidth is a finite resource, there's more than sufficient space to get community stations up and running. Um, the problem at the moment going into the elections, I'd say just very briefly, is that we've got a scenario where the country operates on a rumor mill rather than on a news cycle. Um, so we don't really know whether it's true that 5,000 plainclothes uh, army officers are deployed into rural areas um, to, to bolster ZANU-P of support. This is the rumor going around. If we actually had that community radio layer, our chances of establishing the veracity or otherwise of that claim would be much higher. I, I'm pretty sure that the rumor mill surrounding whether or not the so-called G40 dissidents were responsible for the uh, 23rd of June bomb blast um, at, 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 at the Zona PF rally um, would also be a little bit more uh, illuminating. So th 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 that gap is very, very damaging to Zimbabwean civil society and the fact that it's really been held in abeyance for so long is critical. Okay, just just a couple of um, in response to to your in, um, in terms of does it make Zimbabwe unique in terms of the soft power? I don't think so, and the reason why I mean I don't necessarily think it has much to do with the the levels of of, of education. Most of the people that you would in Zimbabwe that um, have uh, benefited from those levels of education are no longer in Zimbabwe. <laughs> Um, about a third of the entire population, most of the professional class, most of the intellectual class are no longer there. But that, that said, I think what the difference is is this, is that ZANU-PF long time ago understood, and this, I can, I won't, we don't have time to go back to this in the politics, but that the opposition and those who are calling for diversity and everything were very much had bought into the institutional realm. They believed fundamentally that if you won elections and that if you changed it, that things could change. They didn't understand, and I don't think, I think this is the fundamental conundrum of Zimbabwean politics, is that a lot of the opposition has not understood very clearly that ZANU-PF does not care fundamentally about the law. You do not care about the judiciary. They do not care about these things when push comes to shove. They will manipulate it, they will use it to whatever extent. So there's this lull of a sense of come into the institutional process, come and talk to us, we'll put the right laws in, we'll put all the things in, but then in terms of implementation, forget it. And if you try to mobilize, we'll smash you. 
And I think that, it's, so it's a strategic and tactical question. We can debate policy all day long. We can debate how the, the, the technical aspects all day long. But fundamentally, this is a political and strategic question, I would argue, that is about the opposition forces or those that want change and to begin to think of new creative ways. And let me just put it out there. I mean, and this includes, for example, on the airwaves of, of this was back from the late 90s, and early, of clandestine. Uh, airwaves and and so if 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 the entire official space gets closed down, then the possibilities of debating and putting up a parallel system has to be put onto the agenda. Because if you continue to put your butt your head against the wall, all you're going to do is get more bloody and bloody. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just to give a synopsis, the point I'm trying to make is in my political studies, um, the characterization you just gave. Uh, the human dynamic also plays a role. And if you pay attention, for you to develop that kind of level of sophistication, you need some kind of um, education. You have to elevate your sense of IQ, I would assume. And that's the point I was trying to make. And if you, if you compare it to other areas, um, it's quite different from East Africa, Southern Africa, or Western Africa. Okay, cool. Um, I would like to invite questions, please. Uh, we can only take perhaps three. Okay, you have to come here, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I get a sense that media is polarized in Zimbabwe and that the area of space is really shrinking. I wanted to understand, uh, basing on the understanding what was happening in the Arab Spring, you know, like uh, media in terms of mainstream media that was shrinking, but uh, our colleagues used the other side to get to, 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 to send their message, you know, social media engagement. I want to understand in the Zimbabwe situation, how engaging or interactive is social media and how widespread is it in terms of people advocating for the rights uh, of freeing up the air space. In, in Zambia, where I come from, uh, we are not that good. And uh, we have always thought that Zimbabweans are more educated, uh, black Zimbabweans are more educated than the Zambians. And so I want to get to understand that, you know, the dynamics that was happening in the Arabs, uh, how it you know, plays out in Zimbabwe. Try. Um, the, uh, the issue of social media is uh, quite um, an important one, and it's happening in Zimbabwe very much. But the greatest uh, problem with social media is that um, it is mainly enjoyed by the middle class and the educated. Um, radio in itself is cheaper, widely accessible, and uh, uh, is capable of breaking the barriers of illiteracy. You actually understand uh, the background of Africa, and it will very, it will, it, it will, it will in a very big way help us. I, I want to respond to the issue of um, um, Zimbabweans being educated. That um, yes, Zimbabweans are educated, but the greatest challenge we have at the moment is that of patronage. There is serious patronage in the country, which has compromised even the educated. Thank you. Next question. Sorry, firstly, um, more of a comment. Um, so two of the closest people in my life are from Zim. Um, I actually get very emotional talking about Zim. I've been there a few times. <sighs> okay. How optimistic, because it's feeling very Debbie Downer in the room, are we, about the media in Zim, particularly radio? That's it. Again, I think Torai should take this one. Uh, well, 
I'll borrow a quotation from 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 Jane Duncan, um, where she, Jane Duncan made the following um, observation in relation to the South African experience: there was tremendous pressure on the IBA to establish itself and begin uh, <coughs> and begin a process of licensing. Delayed led to um, rising frustration. In fact, two radio stations, Radio Sibonele and later Bush Radio, began broadcasting without a license as they were not prepared to wait any longer. In 1994, the IBA approached Parliament to allow it to issue one year temporary commute license. After receiving permission, it licensed the, fe the first station in December 1994. It proceeded to license a further 82 commute radio stations between 1994 and 1996. Jane Duncan broadcasting and the national question um, 2000 page 65 thanks okay so basically you're saying that pressure from the grassroots is what actually drove institutional change can I, I, ju I just wanted to drive home this point because I think this is not a Zimbabwean question I think it actually if we look at what's happening in our country, given uh, the changeover in political administration, this notion of a new dawn, that things are going to be reclaimed and everything else, I think where the, 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 the how should we say, the disappointment and disillusionment sets in is when people put the most of their faith in a process of institutional, legislative, political, pro in other words, everything that is the legal side of things. And you, you do all the right things, which the Zimbabwe's have always done. Do all the right, and despite all of those things, despite your hard work and policy formulation, despite your lobbying, despite all of the things you've got, all the ducks lined up, you never get into the room, so to speak. And the reason why is that's because the, the, the political power remains basically the same. And, and here it's about economic power and getting into that room. So I think that the lessons here are uh, one of political and strategic kind of, of thinking that, so it's not about being depressed, it's about being more creative and, and not doing the same things again and again, because then we will get into a situation where we believe we can't change these things. Thank you. Thank you.